politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and second class citizens to the one and only CR podcast. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house here at Blaze Media, where you are true patriots, even though to our government, you are second class citizens. You see, because you are not illegal aliens, sex offenders, gang members, and political elites, so you don't really matter. Now, there's obviously tons to talk about the second day of the Fourth Reich here in in America we no longer recognize, and really we haven't recognized for a while. And what's so eerie about what's going on is there's no opposition. Like, nobody. I haven't heard a single Republican speak to the situation we all find ourselves in formulate a plan, and I'm not just talking about the senators and congressmen who could say, well, we're in the minority, but all these governors that have sole power to block so much of this garbage, I don't hear anything. Instead, what we hear is this mindless love fest. I mean, if nothing else, this whole situation has exposed all these phony conservative, allegedly conservative publications and commentators Oh, they love Biden's speech and the inauguration. It was so beautiful. We're all transgender now. We're all legal alien now. We're all for dubbing conservatives as terrorists now. And that's unity. That's reconciliation. That's beautiful. Well, you know what? Today, I'm actually going to agree with those figures on this phony right. And I'm going to admire the Democrats and Biden as well. The Biden regime, his fraudulency, which, by the way, never, ever get that out of your heart. He is an illegitimate president. He did not win that election. Everything he does is illegitimate. But then again, even if he were elected president, everything he's doing is illegitimate because it's unconstitutional or violates statute. But we'll get to that. But I am going to praise him as well because there is so much we can learn about the conviction, the indefatigable energy of the left, that they don't take no for an answer. They come, they see, they conquer. Where is our time to do this? We're going to take notes on what the left does and we're going to learn the true definition of executive power and the power that they hold. And we don't need to wait four years to try to mimic and emulate what the left has done. Pedal to the metal with the power that you're given. They could exercise that right now in all those states where Republicans control all of government and where conservatives are the majority of the constituents but oddly remain silent. That is our challenge. Now, as always, folks, our sponsor for this month, constitutioncoach.com, with all the violence going on, Antifa is not getting better, they're getting worse, they're marching through your neighborhoods, you are more likely than ever to be in a defensive situation where you will have to use your gun, God forbid, to defend yourselves, That's why I need you to go to constitutioncoach.com. Come out and join us for either the three or five day training sessions that they offer. Now, as of today, the February 7th class is closed. They're full. So you will not be able to meet me then, but the February 11th class, I believe, still has room. But moreover, if you go to constitutioncoach.com, they have dates in in March and June and several other times. They do this like every six to eight to ten weeks uh, where they go out to Front Sight, Nevada, have a great time. You'll meet patriots together. You'll learn how to conceal carry. You'll learn how to draw and shoot properly. You'll um, get to do at the end of the training sim houses and some tactical shooting. It's a lot of fun. It's vital training. And you'll also get the constitutional training, intellectual ammo at their night classes. It really is a good time, a great vacation, a great stress relief. 
Um, so again, I'm not going to be at the February 11th training. Uh, the February 7th one is closed, but I might possibly be at some of the later ones. I'm not, it's not clear yet, but don't let that stop you from signing up today at constitutioncoach.com. Now, speaking of Antifa, one of the interesting things that's going on is that everyone's talking about unity. Unity, unity, unity. Very interesting. And as I noted, Biden and these guys, they're not going to look everyone in the eye and say, you're a dirtbag. I'm going to come after you. They actually will say it. They just won't use those words. And all these phony Republicans are falling for it. He literally said, we're going to focus on right-wing extremism. That's what he said at the at the thing. And by the way, you know what's interesting? He engaged in plagiarism. A friend of mine sent this to me, Sean Kennedy. No one noticed this. But the man who had to pull out 30 years ago for plagiarizing, he used the words, and will lead not merely by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. You know where he got that from? Bill Clinton's speech at Obama's 2008 convention, people of the world over have always been more impressed by the power of our example than by the example of our power. So that's that. But anyway, speaking of the example of our power, we're going to talk about today the example of his power that Republicans never learned from. But I first, again, want to talk about reconciliation. You see... Diabolical regimes always talk about unity. Hitler, on January 30th, when he was inaugurated, said, Reich President von Hindenburg has called upon us and given us the order to use our own unity to restore to the nation the chance of recovery. Thus, we now appeal to the German Volk to take part in signing the deed of reconciliation. But if you don't even need to read between the lines... You see, Biden could have truly sounded like a statesman and seemed like he was trying to unify and address Trump voters without even giving in on a single issue. He could have been. a See, let me play the role of a radical leftist for a moment. Radical leftist, but not a total fascist that is hell bent on crushing the other side. I'm just a radical liberal. So I would have done the transgender stuff and the climate stuff and the COVID fascism and the open borders, all the stuff he did in one day. Remarkable. But I could have extended an olive branch and said, look, we're really going to turn a chapter on this uncivil war, he called. And I would have said, I'm going to lead by example, as he claimed to do, and we're going to end this um Impeachment proceedings against Trump. He's not president anymore. It's not constitutional anyway. It doesn't make any sense. It's over. Let's turn a new chapter. And again, he wouldn't have had to cede a single policy issue. It's irrelevant. That's all he had to say. And he could have said, look, there's too much violence on both sides. Mind you, 99.9999% is on the left. But he could have said 50-50. Literally hours after his speech, Antifa was out there in Denver and Seattle and Portland breaking uh, windows in a courthouse in Portland, marching through city streets, shining laser beams in houses at night. Could have said, we're not going to tolerate. He could have at least somewhat thrown in Antifa, which, by the way, they're vandalizing the Democrat headquarters in Portland. And again, he could have said, you know what? I'm such a manly man. Like he has this like pseudo bravado, how he tries to, you know, in his own way, make pretend like he's all tough. You know, I believe in the veracity of my views. I'm not scared by conservative political speech and call upon big tech to stop censoring. Again, it wouldn't have taken anything from him. I'm not saying, you know, he could have or should have. Offered us 50% of the issue portfolio. Like, yeah, I'm not going to go all out on the border, COVID, whatever. No, no, no. 
He could he could have sounded a tone of unity that would have been meaningful without even seeding any of the socialism, any of the communism. But no, he didn't. He made it very clear he's coming after us. He made it very clear that their violence is speech and our speech is violence. And yet still, the entire professional conservative phony class seems to have no problem with it. No problem whatsoever. Look, you got to marvel at their energy, their power, the example of their power. We need to learn from that example. Not in the way the thumb-sucking loser phony conservatives are. The grifters. But from, from what they're actually doing. Now, speaking of energy, I'd like to welcome a new sponsor to our show, Bear Arms Nutrition. Look, patriots can no longer be content in our jobs and the impact we have in our country. We have to stand and grow together so our voices could be heard. I've always said this requires us to get involved in private sector choices as well. Bear Arms Nutrition is an American company that believes in the Constitution. Their product is manufactured right here in the U.S. 10% of all profits are donated to pro-American causes and to help veterans protect free speech and to fight for the Second Amendment. At Bear Arms Nutrition, they know you want to compete at your peak performance. So when you're trying to do a workout, you need their delicious pre-workout formula, M4 Pre-Workout American Energy. M4 contains formula designed to maximize any physical activity. It contains caffeine, all sorts of B vitamins and more. Its ingredients are all sourced on the bottle. You know, when I come typically after a full day of reading and writing and talking, I'm just drained and I can't work out and I barely moved and it was getting really unhealthy. And it just, it really gives you that that energy you need. It, it, it certainly works. And, and look, whether it's a heavy workout from a tough mutter to just, you know, doing some weights and, and the treadmill or a neighborhood jog. It is the perfect pre-workout energy lift, energy boost. The new M4 pre-workout formula is designed for freedom-loving Americans like you. Use the promo code BLAZE10 and my listeners can get 10% off. So check out their website at beararmsnutrition.com. That's beararmsnutrition.com, promo code BLAZE10. So anyway, I wanted to talk about this display of power. And like I said, it truly is remarkable. They had within 60 minutes of taking over the White House... Like the drop down in the forms on the White House having pronoun options. I mean, that's what I'm telling you. And this is the beauty of doing it with a guy that's like a corpse. He didn't play in this. They have a movement. They have a movement in place that surveils a a playing field. And they look at every play. They understand every issue of every portfolio that They believe in strongly, which is a heck of a lot of issues. They understand the offices and the agencies and the personnel that's going to be needed in each one of them to implement that stuff. And they understand the leverage points and exactly what needs to be done. And boom, they do it. First day within 24 hours, they covered Palestinian stuff to transgender, suspended the border wall, suspended deportations. Boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Get involved in all the international treaties. They didn't waste a second. They come, they see, they conquer. And here I'm left as like the only guy trying to formulate ideas and being aware of certain, you know, legislative priorities, executive opportunities, states, federal, what we can be doing, messaging opportunities. We don't have a movement. This is the problem. Until we learn that and build that, we're going to keep having this problem. So I think it's worth spending some time admiring the left. Boy, I mean, they don't don't sleep. 
they really don't sleep. And that's the thing. For four years, I've I heard excuses after excuse. I mean, I challenge you to find for me one low-level pick in this admin that doesn't share the values of the communists. And now you contrast that to the Trump administration, I could barely find anyone who did reflect Trump's campaign promises. But here we are. We are second-class Americans, not Americans at all, illegal aliens are Americans. Their first priorities in office of the Fourth Reich to subjugate us to international treaties that are one-sided, to open our borders to caravans marching through, to grant amnesty to illegal alien sex offenders while criminalizing crossing state lines. This is an order he gave without a mask. This is where we are. This is the beauty of the left's power play. They understand power. Are we going to learn from the example of their power? All these Republican governors, if you look at most of these policies, with the exception of like the military, you know, the transgenderism in the military, a couple of foreign policy things, they could gum up the works. They could make their states a sanctuary from this stuff. But instead, not only aren't Republicans opposing it, one after another, Republicans are either sharing the values or downright stepping on the gas pedal and forcing this stuff where they are. It's truly unbelievable. It's truly unbelievable. Now, folks, one of the things I did yesterday, I went back to see what did I write on this day, January 21st, four years ago, when Republicans took over? And again, you're going to read what I'm going to tell you, and it's truly jarring to look at the contrast between the two parties. And the title of my article was, Will Republicans Squander the Mandate to Repeal Obamacare? Now keep this in mind as you watch the Biden regime with lightning speed implement everything in their issue portfolio set, whatever they want, so quickly. And I wrote, with the media focused on debating the size of Trump's inaugural crowd, Boy, does that bring back memories. Trump could shake up the news cycle and commence his presidency with a bang by fully repealing Obamacare. He could put Democrats in the media on defense by making them defend the astronomical premiums and the destruction of our healthcare system caused by the law. Unfortunately, Republicans in Congress are hell-bent on turning this into a losing issue. Watching the Tom Price confirmation hearing last week and other statements issued by Republican senators, Tom Price was the guy nominated for HHS, one would come away with the impression that Obamacare is great and that it's repeal and, and that it's the repeal of Obamacare that is the problem. Leave it to Republicans to take the biggest winning issue, echo every Democrat talking point about it, take blame for something Democrats did, and then turn it into a losing issue. By only repealing the Obamacare handouts and refusing to repeal the Obamacare regulations, which are single-handedly responsible for driving up premiums and destroying choice and competition in the market, Republicans have backed themselves into a corner. Despite the undeniable destruction in front of their eyes, Republicans have managed to shift the focus away from the emergency need to repeal Obamacare to the emergency need to replace and fix their partial repeal of Obamacare. Republicans now get up in front of the public and say things like, we can't throw people off their insurance. We have to be careful. Everyone is covered. In short order, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and nobody is even talking about the destruction Democrats wrought that is not speculative, but in plain sight of every consumer. Aside from Rand Paul, nobody on the Senate Help Committee seemed to express even a rudimentary understanding of free markets and how the failure of Obamacare disproves every Democrat talking point on health care. They are the ones who are uncompassionate in ensuring that people can't get affordable health care. And I go on and on and talk about how 
And it's amazing because this was the root of the destruction of the effort to fight Obamacare. But it traces back to that time when Republicans fundamentally agreed with the left's premise. And that's how Obama's legacy, most of what Obama did as president, stood. You know, Trump would get up there and say, oh, we repealed the most important part of Obamacare, the the individual mandate. It's not. It's the coverage mandates. It's the Medicaid expansion. It's the subsidies, the dependency, the monopoly they gave to the insurance cartel. To this day, you cannot really buy insurance as a private individual if you don't get it from work without government help or, or somehow paying an astronomical price. But that, that's what happens. At any given fight, and it gets more radical each time, Republicans fake fight it. And then that allows Democrats to move on and move on and move on to the next thing. But like, it's amazing watching the dichotomy between Republican control and Democrat control. Democrats, they come, they see, the, they conquer. Republicans, they promise, they fundraise, they campaign. And then when they get in there, it's all excuses. It's, oh, they can't do anything because the Democrats have a district judge somewhere or the Democrats have a township borough president that disagrees. And again, my point is not even to demonstrate in the past how we failed during the Trump administration to do what Biden's doing now or in the future to have a robust conservative presidency like we're seeing with this regime. We won't last four years. I'm talking about right now where Republicans hold governorships. You know, I'm getting some pushback when I write about some of these red states and some Republican governors and how there's a lot of COVID fascism going on in these states that's every bit as bad as what we're seeing in California, New York, in Virginia, in Maryland, whatever. And... A good number of the Republicans downright supported lockdowns and mask mandates, and they did it. But then there's a number of them that maybe five or six of them, maybe seven, that avoided a lockdown and a mask mandate. But then what happens is every major city, every population center within the red state is may as well be a blue state. They have all the mandates. And and the governor's like, oh, what do you want? I can't do anything. So first you have people like Kevin Stitt and uh, in Oklahoma and Bill Lee in Tennessee. They downright supported it. They, they, they just, they didn't want conservatives to get on their case, so they didn't do it statewide, but they basically either encouraged sometimes publicly. In the case of Kevin Stitt, I know he did it privately. The Oklahoma City government, Tulsa, hey, yeah, go, go, go do this. Yeah, you guys need to do this. That's the double game they play. But even the ones that didn't do it, it's like, well, what do you want from me? It's a municipality. Suddenly the counties are strong. Name me one state where there's a conservative county that is openly defying the mask mandate and the Democrat governor's like, oh, I don't know, there's nothing I can do. Uh, no, they threaten to cut off education funding if they don't you know, mask the children in schools. Right? But somehow, when you're in red states, they're like, look, I, I'm with you, Daniel, but there's nothing I can do. Like, what, do you, what do you mean there's nothing you can do? You know, somehow when we had the presidency, the governorship, and the county executive, but if they have the township or borough dude then it's, it's blue. Okay, then you might be like, okay, so it's, it goes by the lowest unit of government. Nope. If we have a borough within a blue sea county state and there's a Democrat governor, you're screwed. They have full control. And a lot of it is just this, low, this soft bigotry of low expectations that we have in the professional conservative movement, they just don't fight. And even when they think they're fighting, 
it's too little too late. It doesn't speak to the battle of the time. They'll be like, oh, Daniel, I, I stood up to this budgetary issue one time, so I'm a, I'm a conservative hero. But, I mean, if you're not ending the COVID fascism, I mean, dude, what are we going to do? What's the point? Oh, I'm pro-life. Um, I'm pro-Second Amendment. And wave the flag. And, and those are the better ones. I mean, the other ones are downright like Mike DeWine. They're literally Democrats. But it's like there's always excuses. Every time I meet with anyone who works in politics, whether they work for elected officials, uh, other organizations, oh, we can't do this. Oh, the law, the way the, the, the local state structure, you know, suddenly the localities are so strong, but only when Democrats control the localities, not when we do, of course. And it's always excuses. When do you ever see the Democrats making excuses to their base like, hey, dude, what are we going to do? And, and you know what's interesting? A really fascinating thing to watch is the dynamic with the judiciary. So notice that Biden is able to make like 30 civilization changes in one day and there's not a single lawsuit. And even if there would be, you wouldn't get any injunction against it. Or like, I thought you needed the APA, right? Whatever happened to that? Wasn't it interesting? Like, you know, if one president implements a lawless policy and the other president does nothing but merely just rescind it, he doesn't create anything new. They said it was subject to the Administrative Policy Act. I'm sorry, Administrative Procedure Act, APA. And... You have to have a you know sixty day period and a comment period notification. You have to publish in the register a certain way. Even then, they didn't like what they did with it and how they did it was never good enough according to the courts. And we were like, "What do you mean that that's only if you publish a new regulation? But if you take one off, just that you know it's garbage in, garbage out. The same way the president, you know, Obama did it out of nowhere. You could rescind it, right? What do you think DACA was? I mean, he literally nullified immigration law." I mean, and there it's the opposite. It was unlawful for him to do it. And you're saying Trump can't merely rescind it. Well, I didn't see the 60-day notification period in, in, in uh, the hour it took from Biden to march back from the Capitol in the limousine to go to the Oval Office to sign these orders. What happened to the APA? Now, again, I, I agree. I mean, you know, Let's say the trainees in the military, you know, Trump went one way. He could go the other way. I mean, it's immoral and stupid and destroys the military. But, you know, he could do that. I don't think you need the APA to merely rescind that. But that's what all the courts said. Notice I warned you. I wrote again this time four years ago. Everyone was like, yay, we're going to win the judiciary. And I was like, the judiciary is irremediably broken. Judicial supremacism is wrong anyway. Use your time and power to militate against judicial supremacism and it will work out better for you. But all the, all these guys pick the, the, the easy path, the stupid path, appoint better judges. Oh man, Trump's going to just remake the judiciary. It's funny, where are these judges now? Somehow, I don't think as um, the Fourth Reich implements its uh, agenda, infringes upon our liberties while nullifying legitimate law enforcement statutes against illegal aliens, somehow I don't see those judges being an obstacle. And I want to teach you guys a very important lesson that ties into our theme today, the asymmetry between the example of power projected by the left versus the power projected or promised by the pseudo-right. So for years... You know, we would have courts just do the most absurd things, the most absurd power grabs. Like they would say, Trump has to get approval from, the, from them to make an agreement with the Guatemalan government, you know, not to send the caravans here. <laughs> you know, the courts could regulate foreign policy now. The courts could, could make denizens of aliens. The courts could create a right to immigrate. The courts could demand that, that Jim Acosta have a right to enter the White House press corps whenever he wants. And that was a Trump-appointed judge in the D.C. district that said that, by the way. 
So there was nothing a court couldn't do under Trump. There, there's a list. I think the Washington Post had it earlier on in his presidency. But there is a list of um, tremendous amount, tremendous amount of items, I think over 50 policies that Obama created that they said Trump must keep. And actually, there was a case in Alaska with, you know, it had to do with, I believe, natural gas leasing. It might have been something else, but it was, it was an energy environmental issue. And Obama violated statute to create a regulation. Didn't go through the APA, by the way. And that was an affirmative regulation. Trump merely rescinded it. And I'm not kidding you, a judge, a federal judge in Alaska wrote, what do you mean? When Obama wrote it, he meant for it to be permanent. Only Congress could get rid of it. Another president can't get rid of it. I'm paraphrasing, but those are basically the words the judge used. And I I kept saying, like, you know, there's got to be a point where there's separation of powers. And the executive says, look, a court doesn't have jurisdiction over this. A court can't do this. And people are like, but but Daniel, the judge said, what are you going to do? The, the, the court, the court's a juggernaut. And I looked at them and I was like, what are you talking about? The founder said they have neither force nor will. They didn't give them a police force. They gave the enforcement to the executive branch precisely as a check on the judiciary. As Judge William Pryor of the 11th Circuit always says, what Hamilton and Federalist 78 means that they have no force or will and they rely on the efficacy of the enforcement of the executive branch to... You know, to give efficacy to their judgments, what he meant is that judges ultimately rely on the persuasion of their pen. So if they write an insane thing, then it's going to fall down on its own. It's not a matter of disobeying a court. It just doesn't happen. I mean, the courts don't have jurisdiction. It's not like you're locking up someone or you're, you know, doing a criminal conviction without a court, which is the power of the judiciary you know you're you're dealing with foreign commerce or immigration policy or visas courts don't have jurisdiction over that and people looked at me like they were like i was from mars this pseudo conservative legal movement one of them once told me when i wrote my book advocating this daniel the the conservative legal movement is not with you we're just gonna appoint better conservative judges i'll never forget when i wrote my book stolen sovereignty he's like we're not with you And now we see, as I warned, it's a one-way street for us and a dead end. Because now we get to Biden. And I was joking around with friends yesterday. I said, I would love to see for one minute Biden to teach people a lesson in Federalist 78. What conservatives couldn't understand, Biden will understand. How impotent the courts are. Do you think for a minute, if any of these guys were like, dude, you, you, you can't have trannies in the military. You didn't go through the APA. Do you think for a minute, be like, oh, shucks. I guess we got to go another 90 days without the trannies in the military. <laughs> we'll say screw all. Like, they, you, know, you know what they'll do? They'll go and, and, you know, rather than, you know, the president being on the hot seat for like going up against a court, they'll just drag the name of the judge in the dirt and say like, he's a, he's a dirtbag. He's a homophobic, whatever. And, you know, go after him, which is why folks, we're not even going to learn the lesson of Federalist 78 because you're not even going to see these so-called conservative judges rendering these rulings. Why don't you even see the rulings or the lawsuits? Why don't we ever see it? When Democrat presidents do things that are clearly, clearly unconstitutional. And the reason is they're too scared because they understand that the president has the power and he has the bully pulpit and the organization to rally people against the ruling and they'll get crushed. And look, I get it. They have the media, whereas we don't. So it makes it easier to push back. But you get the broader point I'm trying to make. It's not a matter of, you know what, Daniel, the power really resides in the judiciary. Or the power really resides with the president or Congress. Or you know what, the power is really local or federal. 
No, the power is wherever the Democrats exist. If the Democrats have one of 94 federal district courts, that's where the power will be. If they have the presidency, that's where it will be. If they have a governorship, that's where it will be. If they have a township or a borough, commission, board of trustees or presidency, but Republicans have the governor and the president and the state legislature and Congress and the courts, that's where it will be. Heads they win, tails they win, they win all the time. Because they get on the playing field, they fight for their causes, they have a well-oiled movement that stands by them, and they're united in purpose, in deed, in rhetoric. I get it, inherently they have a lot more tailwinds at their backs, but still, they have a movement too. You don't accomplish everything Biden did so far with a guy that's half lucid, only half lucid, when you don't have a movement. They don't miss an opportunity. If they ever fail, sometimes they do, implementing something, it's not because they didn't try. But they always try. We never try. I'm sick of the excuses. Even some of these like better guys, more conservative guys that I speak to in some of these legislatures, and I'm trying to shop around my uh, Declaration of Rights and some of my ideas to push back against Biden and the federal overreach and the COVID fascism, whatever it is. Oh, Daniel, but, but leadership, they're, they're rhinos, they're dirtbags, the governor's a rhino. Like, I, I understand that. But at least introduce the bill. Hold a press conference. We'll we'll get we'll get some people like me that have shows to give it coverage to, you know, build a grassroots around it. You can't get to second base without getting to first base. You got to start. And the more you push, the more the next step will be more achievable. And likewise, that's how everything is in life. The left never says like, gee, I guess the world, you know, I guess the country doesn't want the homosexual agenda. You know, after 2000, 2004, that era when we had, what, 31 or so states unanimously reject um, gay marriage, and I think all but one even rejected civil unions. Like, wow, I guess the people don't want this. We need to change. No, they were like, we need to fight harder. And they did, and thanks to a lack of opposition, within a couple of years, they turned it from, you know, running, uh, losing every issue to running the table and winning every issue. There's no shortcut to having a movement. And like I said yesterday, I just sincerely hope that this will serve as some sort of a cathartic experience for us to finally change what we're doing. But everywhere we turn, at best we have excuses from allegedly conservative politicians of what they can't do of what they're incapable of doing it's out of their hands the media is attacking me i'm trying what do you want i can't do any better to downright being complicit rubio rubio is supporting biden's use of the defense production act basically commandeering this is something that you would use in a world war ii and yeah trump started the precedent but i mean and, and i opposed it but at least in trump's defense Somewhat. It was in the panic porn in March when everyone was like, we need to produce, we're going to die, we need, we don't have enough masks, so we don't have enough this, and <laughs> remember the ventilators, which wound up killing people? But now with 10 months of research and data and real-life experience in front of us, that this whole thing is a lie. With the, the masks and the PPE... We have Republican senators supporting authoritarian actions at a time when we have to worry about a fourth Reich? Like, every time we need an equal and opposing force, you look around and one Republican after another is echoing the sentiment. You know, Rubio's playing this game, if you notice. He's trying to harness, like, this nationalist, populist type of, you know, he's recreating himself, but what he's doing is he's actually taking all the progressive elements of populism like the endless stimulus and throw money at people. Oh, like we care about the working man, but like more like in a handout way. 
um, but not so much the conservative parts of it. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting if you, you watch himself reinvent himself. Then we have, just to move on in our Rhino report, what do we have here? We got the Tennessee governor, Bill Lee, tells Christians they shouldn't worship in person. It's from the Federalist. Vita Duffy is the author here. Bill Lee issued an executive order Tuesday stating that churches are strongly discouraged from worshiping in person. Weddings and funerals should also be postponed or attended only by close family members. Now, I bet you if I were to write an article on Bill Lee, I'll get a call from his staff or something telling me, Daniel, it's not true. He didn't mandate that churches have to close. <laughs> like, like this is the game they, 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 they split hair. So this is the game they play. Um, you know, Democrats will do something immoral, illogical, illegal, shred the Bill of Rights. Like they'll do they'll do a thousand year arson against our civilization. And we need all hands on deck to fight it. And not only won't they fight it, they'll support it in rhetoric a little bit indeed. I'm like, well, Daniel, I didn't really mandate. I just said it was a good idea. So it's like we have Democrats pushing America like a speedy train off a cliff and Republicans go and join them and push it. And they're like, well, well, you know, Daniel, I didn't mean for it to go all the way down the hill. I would have put the brakes on, you know, halfway down the mountain. You know, you can't blame me. I, I think it should, the train should have stopped there. Democrats took it a little bit too far. This is what we've been dealing with for 30 freaking years since Reagan, except it's just recently Democrats have gotten smart and they realize the Republicans are, comp- are a complete false flag and a paper tiger, and they could push much harder than they have been pushing and push, push much, much quicker. And Republicans won't change their game. And they won't be motivated and activated to finally oppose them. And they're right. Bill Lee, Tennessee. Do you know that Tennessee is the most trending red state? So if you look at, you know, 2016 to 2020, where which things shifted away from Trump, shifted towards him, I believe Tennessee is the state, at least statewide. You could divide it by different counties, but statewide that shifted towards him the most. Red as anything. And I don't want to hear this, well, they're rhinos. No, I'm talking about the people. The people didn't vote for Mitt Romney. They voted for Trump. And mind you, I doubt they voted for the Javanka elements of Trump. They voted for the Trump elements of Trump or the perceived Trump elements. They voted for that. How in the world could a guy like Bill Lee, who once said, we can't open the jail doors quickly enough for criminals, who's in bed with the Muslim Brotherhood, who talks about how Jesus loves endless Islamic refugees. How could a guy like that even stand for renomination in the primary? It should be so obvious that he couldn't win, that he wouldn't even run again. This is what we need to do, and I'm willing to do everything I can, but I'm one man, and I can't run a whole map in every issue, every state. But imagine if there were another 20 people in this business that tried to focus on this half as much as I do, where we would be. We got to do better. I'm sick of making excuses for these guys. And again, like this is why I'm purposely not even talking about people like my governor, Larry Hogan in Maryland. Everyone will be like, well, it's Maryland. What are you going to do already? I'm focusing on states like Tennessee and Oklahoma, Ohio. There's just no reason for this. There's just no reason. And that's what it is. It's one rhino after another. You had Mike Lee. He had a picture of himself at the inauguration smiling, but you couldn't see the smile because he was wearing a Chinese diaper. And he was all diapered up next to Cory Booker. He was like, we're looking forward to working with him together, you know, because the two of them both, um, you know, love uh, drug traffickers and gangsters. And, you know, think uh, they think too many people are being locked up even now. 
and the jails aren't being emptied quickly enough. And, and mind you, they're not they don't seem to be concerned uh, about our people being thrown in jail for opening a business or the FBI hunting down people for being at the Capitol, even if they didn't engage in violence. No, those aren't the people that they're going to let out of jail. I, I, I just wanted to give you guys a bit of a presentation today on just the boundless gulf dichotomy between the two parties and the two movements. Now, between the two parties, there is no gulf. They're, they're, they're the same thing. But I mean, really, the two movements in terms of the energy and the focus, the expectations. I was forever called a purist in um, 2017, you know, the opening months of the Trump administration, when I was pointing out all the problems like, well, Daniel, he's doing a good job. You can't expect more. And look, I'm not saying there's not adversity. No matter who you are, with the culture and the media. But if we don't push harder, we're not going to get anything more. If you don't pressure your governor to go after the COVID fascism more, it's not going to happen on its own. I understand they get a lot of pressure, but that's the point. If the pressure is all from one direction, where do you think the policy is going to flow? That is the point. This is where we need to head. And look, it takes more people. More people have to do it. But there there aren't sacred cows. Now look, I'm not going to tear a guy down if he's with us on many issues and falls down here and there. But it shouldn't stop us from prodding him, saying, look, you could do better. Speak out against this. If you feel statutorily your hands are tied in your state for whatever reason, then at least speak out. Your voice is powerful as the governor. That will inspire movement. That will put pressure on the legislature. By the way, it's funny how... Uh, it's funny to watch this game. So wherever we have a rhino governor, so I hear from the legislature, like, look, the governor has all the powers, nothing I can do, the emergency, he can do whatever he wants. It's a governor. And then when, like, we have a governor that's more receptive to people like me and are willing to listen, they're like, Daniel, it's a legislature, we're gonna do it, they got all the power. Again, it's like, somehow, we need everything, and then even when we have everything, it's not enough. The left only needs one lever to push, one time. And they got it. That should tell you everything you need to know about where we are and what we need to recreate. And look, I left a lot on the table. There's a lot of stories today, but one big story is the WHO. A lot of you I know have sent this to me. Seconds after Biden was sworn in, they announced, you know what? The labs need to publish the CT levels of the PCR testing because you know what? A lot of them are false positives. They're too high. The CT cycles... And you shouldn't go based just off of that without any symptoms. Whoopsie daisy. So everything we were saying for months on end, and we were called Nazis and literally censored all my stuff. Like if I would write about that, it couldn't be put on Facebook because it would, you know the, the blaze would get docked for, for it. Now the WHO comes out. You know why? Because... That way, the case numbers are going to go down and Biden will look good. That's the whole thing with this 100 days, 100 day mask mandate, even though it doesn't really do much else because all the states already mandated it. But 100 days from now is basically where the Hope Simpson curve goes down. We saw this last year, you know, it blew up in March into early April. By end of April, early May, it starts getting warm at least in all but the most southern latitudes, it's over with. Because essentially, outside of the Sun Belt, there was almost nothing going on from like May 1st to sometime in September. There was really nothing going on in, in the northern states, especially the ones that had it already. It, it almost took a break. It wasn't extinct, like some were hoping, you know, that it would only be seasonal, but it was pretty seasonal. 
And then they'll say, look, the masks, the, the mask worked. Didn't work for the first nine months, but it worked now. But again, my point is, there's endless ammo. Like, there, there's, there's literally close to 50 studies on lockdowns not working, on no correlation. The endless stuff on kids not being in danger, kids being not being a vector of spread. How hard is it to use that ammo if you're a Republican governor and say we are not masking our young children? If you're too scared to go after the localities that are putting in a mandate on the adults, at least on the children. Oh, no, I don't have the power. They could do whatever they want. No, no. Like, a lot of us gave them rope for a couple months. We understood that it was false from day one. We were right about all this stuff in March. But I understand it was a panic. It was unique. It was very hard to break through when Trump's own administration was pushing this garbage. I understood certain Republican governors. But dude, by now, people get the message because it's still around. It didn't work. There's no correlation. There's reams of data on the lack of efficacy of this, on the harms of these policies. But you got you to open your eyes, but you got to open your hearts first. We got to expect better. We got to demand better. Now, anyway, I'm still looking for a new home for our Facebook private page, Minimum Speak Easy, Harwood Citizen Sanctuary. Um, I'm not sure where we're going to take it. I do have a Gab account, Daniel underscore Horowitz. It is not really a collaborative thing. So you you techies out there, let me know what's a good replacement for Facebook. Um, obviously, I'm going to migrate from Twitter. They already chucked 20,000 followers from me anyway, so who cares? But again, let's do better. Let's support our sponsors. Let's fight back at a little local level. Let's get in their faces. You can't win without getting on the playing field. And with God's help, our actions will be successful. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.